Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. So kind of kind of introduce this, and this is uh, we're actually going to see like this is how. Uh, my intent is actually to do 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, but I think we'll do 4 today, or at least get most of the 4 today. And as we look at chapter 4, uh, Paul uh, starts and finishes in a similar manner. Um, and so I wanted to kind of get our minds think about that. So uh, when we are discouraged, um, what are things that you do to, to keep, keep you in the game? Okay, I'll put that in quotes. So keep you in the game. So... Pray. Especially if you're double dog sanguine. Double dog sanguine. Like yourself. Is there, is there something uh, that you pray that you remind yourself of? You know, if you think, like, what do, what do you dwell on when you pray? When you're discouraged. Sovereignty of God. Okay. Okay. All right, what else, what else uh, do you do when you're discouraged by something? What's that? Just trying to find things that you're grateful for. Trying to find things that you're grateful for, okay. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing about the Lord, okay. What are, what are, what are a lot of these things that we're, we're talking about? Why do we get discouraged? Because we're selfish. Because we're... Cause, because we're selfish. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't get. Didn't get your way. Um, yeah, it's funny. I don't. You know, last week I was. I was doing. I think I had mentioned this to somebody. I was doing a repair on my car, and I got to this point where it was like put everything back together, and I started it up, and it didn't start. You know, and I was like, oh man. So I took it apart, and I looked. You know, did something, and I just couldn't figure it out. And like, I was like, all right, I'm gonna shower up. I just felt really discouraged, but the whole time, like, you know, the Lord was helping me get this piece off and do that thing, and, you know, but I was like, man, this was just, like, very frustrating, and just, I had to just kind of reset, and then, you know, again, just kind of like, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? Maybe it's, you know, you're out of your depths. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> So anyway, part two will go on today. I think I figured it out. But anyway, uh, that'll be uh, to be to be continued. Um, but yeah, getting getting our minds kind of off ourselves and onto the Lord are some of the things that that we can do when we are discouraged. And we're gonna kind of look at that, but not like focus necessarily on that. But this is kind of a part of the picture that Paul's gonna talk about when he looks at second when we look at Second Corinthians. So the last time. We got through 40 out of our 50 chapters, so we're 41. So people are like, where are we on our 50 chapters? So we're 41, so we're the back, the back 10. Um, and so we looked at Romans 8, which was uh, entitled Spirit-Filled People. Um, and in that time, we looked at that the, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers, aligns our wills to God's, and shows us that His plans are better and greater than our own as well as confirms our security in Christ by reminding us that his love is unfailing. And that's how kind of Paul like ended that chapter, right? Who can separate us from the love of God? And I feel like 2 Corinthians kind of like dovetails nicely into this as we're walking in the spirit and having our, our hearts kind of knit to God's heart and just thinking like, right, we are spirit-filled people. We get so focused on the temporal that, you know, there are some things eternal. 
And so uh, this, again, will align well with what we're talking about. Funny how Scripture does that. Um, and so because it's really a part of like what God wants us to understand. I mean, there's lots of letters, lots of chapters, lots of, you know, words in, in Scripture. Um, but they all want us to know God more and for us to, again, align our hearts to, to God's. And so particularly in 2 Corinthians, it's kind of an interesting letter. It's like the fourth letter that Paul wrote. It was only first and second Corinthians, but there was a letter that they wrote to Paul or Paul had written to them and they wrote back. And so first Corinthians is him kind of responding. And then a second Corinthians, so first Corinthians would actually be his second letter that we know of. And then in second Corinthians, he refers to a letter that was written by them, you know, that he wrote to them earlier, kind of admonishing them. And so this is kind of the fourth letter at least. But we know like, again, Paul is again, communicating with the church. <laughs> you know, he didn't, he just didn't show up and, and preach a couple sermons, and, you know, his people didn't alter call, and then he's like, all right, I'm on to the next town, right? It, like, his, his goal was to continue to um, guide them and encourage them. And we see in Second Corinthians, the tone is a little bit, you know, um, somewhat more like uh, him having to prove himself in a little bit, and so we get kind of, you know, some... Uh, some things about Paul's life that we may not, that he has to reveal in order to kind of, you know, sway them. And why is that? Well, you know, uh, when he is talking in 2 Corinthians, uh, we find, remember 1 Corinthians, that there were these kind of divisions that he mentions in chapter 1, you know, where some say, I'm of Paul or I am of Apollos, and then I'm, you know, of, of Peter uh, as well. And so, um so we see that there was kind of a tendency to align or separate under certain teachers. Well, it seems like maybe it's even gotten worse. And Paul is maybe discouraged that while he would align himself with Peter and with Apollos, uh, that there might be these other teachers that are kind of pulling their attention and pulling their hearts. And he's having to kind of convince them why his, uh, why his way is really the Lord's way and to try to show them that they are maybe in error in some of the things that they're they're saying. And he does it in an encouraging way. But as he starts out in chapter one in Second Corinthians, um, this is kind of where his heart at, right very right at verse eight. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And, you know, when, when hearts and minds kind of go to despair, you know, I point people to say that Paul experienced these things, right? He, he felt like, right, he, it was so burdensome, like beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And that idea was like we couldn't see an, anything beyond this point it was almost like there was a wall that kind of idea of despair is an end of a road um and that he couldn't see anything beyond there and whether that was something that you know they were just clouded by or really like hey we thought you know this was our end but you get the heart of what paul is saying and how he was discouraged and he's then talking to the church about you know how everything we do we're doing it for you and not for our own gain 
And so that's kind of where we, we see like Paul start to, to go when we get to chapter four. And so this chapter, the reason that I want us to go through it, that he talks in, in very eloquent terms. I think just the, the way he says certain things, like I felt like this is Paul the poet in, in certain, uh, in some of his letters, right? He describes just a, different aspects of the gospel. He talks about the motivation we should have in sharing the gospel and why it's important to do so. And then he just kind of like enlargens our perspective, right, in living in light of the gospel. So we're going to kind of take it a paragraph at a time um, and kind of look at what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So verse 1, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Paul, you know, talks about this ministry, and with this ministry that he's been given is the ministry of sharing the gospel. And again, like he's reminding the Corinthians, like, that's, that's my purpose, that's my focus, and if you ever wanted to question, like, my motives, like, that's what my goal is. So why would having the ministry of sharing the gospel cause them, meaning Paul and his kind of ministry companions, not to lose heart? That idea of losing heart means to be discouraged, to lose enthusiasm, or to become afraid, if you think of like, to not lose heart. To, why is it that we're, we're not afraid? So why is this ministry of sharing the gospel cause them to not lose heart or become discouraged? And as you think about that, I just want you to think, right, this man, like if you read his life, and especially if you read through Acts, he goes to a place, some people are converted, he goes to another place, and they run him out of town. He goes to another place, they throw rocks at him. He goes to another place, and they chase him to that place and run him out of town. And then he goes to another place, and some people are saved. And he goes to another place, and they run him out of town. I mean, like, his batting average is low in, in some respects, right, for how many people reject the gospel compared to, like, accept the gospel. And if you think of, like, a discouraging you know, moment. If you think of the life of Isaiah, I want you to go to a people who will not listen, who will be stubborn of heart. But I think Isaiah could then kind of resonate with that, that he has this ministry, right, that will, that will cause us to not lose heart, to not become discouraged. Why do you think that could be the case? Yeah. Yeah. So why would that, you know, so what's that understanding? What is it that, what is it that going back to, you know, going, making that connection with Romans, what is it that someone would understand about the ministry of the gospel? Powerful. Powerful, And it's not, it's what? Very true. Very true. 
I wasn't, but that is, I mean, that's part of it. And we'll see that Paul definitely has that as part of like the package and understanding the gospel. Were you saying something? The salvation is the Lord's. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is right. This is like, this is God's, right? This is God's commission. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not of our own. It is of God's, okay? And we just kind of hold that. We'll see that he'll, he'll unpack that as we go a little bit further, right? If it was our own choosing, if it was like, hey, I think I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, share a message. Uh, it's not very lucrative, <laughs> has a lot of, uh, you know, rejection, but I'm going to do that because I just think this is what I should do, right? You might say like, man, maybe I'm in the wrong line of, wrong line of work, but if you know this is God's, right, you might have the same results, but this is God's line of work, and so, and again, we'll see kind of how he opens that up, right, in that moment, just on the temporal statement, it's hard to kind of distinguish between the two, but yes, kind of having that bigger picture. He probably could have, you know, so, although I don't know, I mean, we get to, so it's funny, (laughs) So Paul actually in, in chapter two, and again, remember these first few chapters, if we just kind of read through them, he's, he's kind of dismantling a little bit, like distinguishing his ministry from maybe some others. He doesn't, he doesn't identify him. He actually identifies them later as like super apostles. Um, but that's kind of this letter is really to try to convince somebody without trying to be like, without bragging and trying to be humble and really, you know, understanding of like, Hey, listen, this is why you should listen to what I have to say. In, in chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says um, that he's not a peddler or a trader of God's word, right? And so that's where someone where other, we're, we're treating scripture, right? Scripture for him is not a commodity. It wasn't a job. Um, you think like at that time, is this New Testament ministers? I would think it's probably, although that's true. You see that creeping in in some of the churches, but he, he does distinguish between the, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, um, the Old Covenant. And so I think it's just anyone at that point, it could be even Jewish leaders, you know, again, as, as they're coming in and saying, hey, this is, this is how you should live your life, um, that this is something that you do. But that was like how they made their living, and that's how they define themselves. And he says, we're not a peddler of God's word. It's not something that we come in to do and then look for a handout. And he also says it's by God's mercy, right? And so it's by God's mercy that he's allowed us to do this. And so because of that, he cannot lose heart. And so in contrast, you know, if you kind of think of like the heart motivation, this is kind of one of those things, right, that Paul says, you know, we can't be a peddler of, of uh, Scripture, that I'm like, is he, is he at odds here? So I want to kind of read this, and you, you help me think through this, right? Paul says in Philippians 1.15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I uh, am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." It's almost like you kind of look at the motivation, right, of two different people. It's like he says we can't be peddlers of God, and he's going to even go further uh, as we get through 2 Corinthians and look, look through this a little bit more. We've already read kind of some of these verses. But then in Philippians, he says some do it right out of, you know, preach the gospel out of, um, out of envy, 
right? And so, or rivalry, but he says, as long as the gospel is preached, you know, praise God. What, is there a distinguishing factor between those two things? And if you can't see it, we'll see it in just a second. So. Well, and, but I would even say, like, for the, the motive, right, of even in Philippians is out of envy or rivalry that they're preaching the gospel, which you say isn't, like, the right motive. But what does he praise? That what, what, is, what, what are they getting right? The message. the message. So here, maybe their motivation is to be a peddler of the word of God or to do it for some other motivation. So even out of wrong motivations... One can be praised and one cannot. And what is the one that is praiseworthy is the one that gets the message right. Because we know of pastors who have fallen, uh, just been disgraced from the ministry um, because of either personal improprieties or later in life, maybe they've adopted other uh, viewpoints. But you listen to like earlier sermons and you're like, those were good sermons. You know, because when they get it right, they got it right. You know, God can still use, uh, you know, as a friend of mine says, he can use, still use crooked sticks to make straight lines. Um, and so that's one of those things that, you know, how do you distinguish? Well, how it aligns to the word of God. And so, so Paul then, that's where he kind of goes, right? He says, we have uh, renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And that's kind of the important piece right there for us to kind of, you know, keep in mind. So what are ways that the gospel can be shared in disgraceful or underhanded ways? Sometimes it's translated as secret or shameful. Okay. Yeah. You might flip through a cable channel and you're like, hmm, seems, uh, seems kind of odd, right? Well, if you just give this, then your blessing will be, you know, tenfold or a thousandfold. Or... Yeah, yeah, and there, there's a whole lot. I mean, I remember in seminary, I, I, dunk, I maybe it was just a younger man's thing, or you know, is there were websites that kind of had like different churches, and they would show sermons of things that they would do, and, and you would just like in a church service, the things that you would hear, like you know, are blasphemous. Just like this is not not a scripture. Um, I can't I can't remember what the website's name was, but I'm sure they're still still out there. But it, it almost just kind of stirred you up to anger. Uh, it's probably another reason, you know. Like you'd be like, how why why are people gathering and listening to this and endorsing this and and some of that? And that's like what you know a little bit of what Paul's saying. And I'm sure we could go into details about you know how many shameful <laughs> and disgraceful things that there are that even go beyond the pale but right anything that is associated with following Jesus that we would see is like that's blasphemous or that's like wicked you know those are the things that Paul is is trying to kind of point out and then he also adds kind of a refusal to pra- to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word 
And so I think that's kind of an important piece. And there's probably, you know, I'll, I'll just say if we, we classify, there's three ways that we can tamper with God's word. All right. One way we can tamper with God's word is we can subtract from the gospel. Okay. What would be something like that you would say like that is a subtraction from the gospel? What's that? Okay, that could be one. Yeah, don't need to repent. You just need to believe in Jesus, right? Okay. Yeah. Now, why would people subtract from the gospel? In sharing the gospel. Not, not the motivation. We'll get to the motivation. Okay, so thinking, thinking that maybe something is offensive, right? And so I'll just maybe like minimize it or cut it out or something like that. So that's one way, right? Is to tamper with the, the gospel is to subtract from the gospel. What do you think another way is? Adding to the gospel. Okay. That's usually where you get kind of like maybe a, a cult thinking or certain religion is like, well, you have to do this, right? Yeah, you know, if it was like, well, if you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not a Christian. And you, if you skip church, you know, then, then you're not a Christian or, you know, those things that kind of like are said that way, right? Part of the gospel is adding to it. Usually it's some sort of work, something that you have to do in order to validate, right, what the gospel is. Why would people add to the gospel? Okay, it could be more attractive. Usually, it's usually it's you know a little bit more like they're adding adding other requirements on, so it could be attractive to some. Yeah. Yeah. And some people, you know, think it's maybe like they're protecting the gospel by adding to it, adding these guardrails. And we saw that, you know, see that with the Pharisees and the things that, you know, they did, right? They wanted to make sure that they preserved the law by adding to the law. And then those additions became a law to themselves. So you can either subtract, you can either add, or the third one, what do you think it could be? Tonight. <laughs> And I made, I made up these categories. Just change, change the gospel, right? It's just kind of like, you know, a replacement of some sort of aspect to the gospel in, in changing what it looks like. So, um, you know, sometimes it is like, well, that's not, you know, that's not true, uh, but this is true. And so, you know, you can probably think of, of different ways that that is presented or, even Jesus, you know, is a good teacher, but he's not the only way, right? Um, and so it's, it's kind of like, you know, swapping some things out or maybe misinterpreting the things that Jesus said um, or adding, you know, for that. And so you kind of have like in one, one of those three kind of things, right, to do that. Now, why, what, like the overall reason to do that is... We think by, or somebody may think by adding to it, subtracting it, or changing it, what have they done to, with the gospel? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I probably, I think in some sense, they're, they're making it better, right? You know, uh, they're, they're making it better. I'm going to take this away because, well, you know, I'll just de-emphasize it, but, you know, they'll, 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 
they'll catch on. Well, let's just get them in the door, and then they'll catch on. Or we're going to add to it to make sure, like, are you serious? This is, like, everything, you know, to have a more committed believer. Like, we're amplifying, we're making the gospel better. But what, what have we done? What's that? A new teaching, right? And so instead of making the gospel better, like we've actually made it worse. And those are the things like, right, that we might find ourselves in those situations like somebody's like, well, I just don't feel comfortable about this. And you're like, well, I get it. But, you know, but presenting the gospel in the fullness, right, is actually... is actually the best way of sharing the news of God. And so Paul says we don't want to tamper with the gospel. And so instead, he says, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So what do you think he means when he says, you know, that by the open statement of truth, right, he and his partners commend themselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What's that? What do you mean? So if he's just said the open statement of truth, meaning like just sharing the gospel as it is, right? Not altering it or tampering with it and sharing it. How does that commend themselves to the, the person's conscience in the sight of God? It's kind. It's kind of a kind of a difficult phrasing in the way that he he says it. But I, I don't, obviously we're not good as human beings innately. There's there, there a there's an innate sense of good and evil that we have. Um, God revealed Himself through nature, so this gospel that's being preached, the truth of this gospel. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I, I think like, I can see where you're going with that and maybe, you know, um, but if we say like, you know, I feel, um, my conscience is clean. If we kind of said it in that sense, right. Um, when Paul says like by sharing the gospel plainly as it is, there's a couple senses, right? So in the sight of God, what happens with everybody? Whenever we'll be in, in before the, before the throne of God, what happens at that moment? Judgment. So in Paul's sense, right, he can, he can feel um, that he has presented the gospel clearly, right, so that at the judgment, right, he doesn't have to worry about um, them standing before God and saying, well, I thought the gospel was this, right? And so in one sense, right, the, his, his conscience can be can be cleared or he can have a clear conscience or their conscience can be cleared um, in the sight of God in that respect. But then more so is when he presents something openly and plainly, he's just presenting the gospel as it is. It's not Paul's gospel, it's Christ's gospel. And so if he presents Christ's gospel to others, if you speak the truth to somebody and they know where you stand, what do they? What do people think about you? What's that? 
Okay, now let, let's let's kind of maybe let change. Yes, people can kind of uh, can react negatively. Now, one, do they have to agree with you? So we know that people aren't always going to agree with us, right? Um, what did you say? <laughs> right? I mean, I can say, you know, yeah, I mean, Lionel shared this with me, and um, I mean, good for him. I don't believe it, but like, he sincerely believes it, and so if if he's presenting truth, I can I can at least say like he, you know, he's he's expressing what he what he is saying right. So before the sight of God, like it's almost commendable, right, in people's minds that you just speak the truth. You don't change the gospel because you're trying to minimize something or another, but you're speaking the truth, right? We all know that you get with relatives, you get with people, and you're like, I do not agree with. Your, you know, political beliefs. I don't agree that you think that team is better than that. It's always funny you know, hearing people argue over for sports teams that you have you care nothing about. You're like, that's silly. Until then, you get involved, and uh, you know. But and that's what Paul's saying. Like, if I share the gospel, at least they know they can think I'm crazy, but I'm sincere. And so I, that's that's where he's saying I'm commending myself right to their conscience. Um, it was a while back. I feel like it was 15, maybe 20 years ago. You guys ever heard of the comedian? Uh, he, it was a group, Penn and Teller. There's a, uh, one, the, one of the guys, Penn, I think his name is Penn Gillette. He put a YouTube video out. I'm sure he's probably said something after that. But he's, he's an avowed atheist. But he put a YouTube video out. It was really interesting and kind of compelling. If you've ever seen it, it was because it kind of made its way around certain circles. Um, about how after one of his shows, somebody came up to him. And, uh, and gave him, like, uh, a Psalms and a New Testament. And he said, you know, he said the guy was really sincere. And the way that he talked to me, um, like, he really believed, you know, what he was saying. And that my soul, you know, was in peril. And it was almost like he was like, if every Christian believed that, I should be hearing that more. Now, he said, I don't agree with it. I mean, he still was an atheist. His mind wasn't changed. But he could see the sincerity of the person that did it. And it was almost like it elevated that man because he was willing to speak boldness and truth. And that's where I think Paul is going with this, right? In the sight of God, you can, I can commend myself to someone's conscience because there's no other motive that I am just speaking the gospel that, you know, of, of what I'm trying to say before these other men. Yes. I'm also mindful of the fact that uh, Paul had written a letter asking that the church would pray that the Lord would give them a spirit of boldness to preach. And that uh, his man, I mean, no man's blood was on his hand. He was faithful. That's eloquent. That's eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And so, so Paul didn't say it was easy, and that's actually where he goes next. I mean, and so in this way, he's actually like kind of being bold with his letter, um, where you might come across where, right, or, you know, it's easy for you, Paul. But Paul's like, it's, it's not easy. But, you know, so that, so that kind of then begs the question, so why, why don't others accept what we say, right? And so, you know, why don't they see the need for Christ? Well, he says that in verse 3, right? What does he say in verse 3? He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And so what does a veil do? Covers, right? And so if the gospel is veiled, then the truth is not seen. It's covered, right? People can hear what you're saying, but not understand it. Kind of like calculus, right? Uh, no. But, but, but it's one of those things, I mean, but even more so, it's not a reasoning thing because the gospel is pretty simple, but it's just not, it's not an acceptance thing. Paul had, had used this similar language in chapter 3. In verse 12, he says, since we have a, a hope, we're very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that's where he says in verse 4, therefore, having this ministry, we don't lose heart, right? There is this boldness that kind of can come out of that, right? But he uses that same language that, that if we understand why then do people believe what we say, even if we're sincere and before people's conscience, we can say, hey, this is the truth. It's because it is veiled. He reminds them of that. And then he goes further and says, it's the God of this world that is responsible for the veiling, so in verse 16 of chapter 3 that I just read, we see that God removes the veil. It is God who's responsible for removing the veil. But who is the one that has put the veil there and is keeping it there? Yeah, the God of this world, Satan, is the one who is... Who, so, so what does that look like? What's that veil that's hard? Everyone's, it's hard for people to see through the truth of the gospel. Okay. It's the things in our life, right? The things in culture, right? The things that, you know, the religions that we make up, the things that we put our energy to, the things that distract us, the things that we worship, right? We are idol worshipers in one way or another. And we've talked about that in a whole host of different passages, right? And, and those are the things that like have veiled us, that we just don't see the gospel clearly until God removes the veil. And so, you know, if you just kind of remember like when, the truth of the gospel, like, you know, was clear to you. It was almost like, how did I not see that? Like, what kept me from seeing that? And we know the answer, right? It's, it's the sin in our own hearts, but it's the sin that was like, I love this veil. I love this veil. I love, you know, and then like, oh, wait, there's things beyond the veil. And that's like, but the only things that I can see are the things that are this veil in front of my face. And so Paul says, right, when we talk to people and we share the gospel with them, it, like as long as it's clear and true, right, there's a reason they don't see it is because most people are just looking at the veil. They're just looking at the thing right in front of their face, and they're not seeing anything until the Lord removes it 
And it's like, oh, now I see it. Now I see what they're saying. I mean, I was just always blown away. I've mentioned this multiple times when I was in seminary and I would open up a commentary. And it's like, you know, I was naive, so I didn't, you know, no one had ever talked about this before. But I open up a commentary and I'm reading and I'm like, I don't know if this guy believes what he's writing. You know, there's like... There are many commentaries that have been written by unbelievers. Uh, usually they have German names, but um, so uh, there's a reason for that. But anyway, uh, but yeah, you're just reading it. And you're like, I don't know if this guy, I mean, it's like, you know, does he not see it? How can he talk about it but not have any sort of spiritual emphasis? And that's just because he's writing from, you know, a veiled approach, a veiled approach. And so, um, so is the fact that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, is that a comfort for us, or is it not? I think of how easy evangelism would be if you just walked around and looked for people without a veil. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. I'm going to go share with him. I didn't get it. You know? but, uh, I think the comfort comes in knowing what he was saying at the beginning that he went over. You know, that um, we're not going to alter the message. You know, we're appealing to their conscience where we're speaking the truth and then as just Ben said we have to rely on him you know to if he's going to remove that's his business that doesn't take the load off of us to not go share because like you said at the beginning um, you know more people are veiled than unveiled you know and that can be discouraging when you're witnessing but you know then knowing that he also tells us elsewhere that we're, we're scattering seeds, you know. You never know, you know. We may scatter, and somebody else comes along the next time and waters, and, you know, then the hundredth person comes, and, like, I was 38 when the veil came off. You know, I know I'd heard the gospel a gazillion times prior to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in situations, not often maybe, but, you know, um, I used to go to young life meetings in high school just because girls were there. But, you know, um, but, you know so it's, we can't, um, it almost makes it even more exciting, though, to know that the veil's there, and then we're, we're sharing the only thing that can really remove the veil, the gospel, and if God decides to do that with them, then, you know, uh, we, we get to harvest that. Yeah, and so I think, I think it can be kind of both, you know, both things. It can be discouraging knowing, like, people are veiled. Like, you know, I mean, is it worth it? Although, you know, might, we might spend, you know, at an arcade, you know, numerous dollars trying to, like, win the prize, right? <laughs> Within the claw, the claw machine or hitting that big thing in skee-ball, right? You know, we thought of that way, and sometimes we, you know, won't ever hit it. But, like, I think it's, like, in that sense, we know, if we know the difficulty of it, right, it shouldn't minimize that, but then also comforting, because why? It isn't up to us, right? And that's the problem, right? We think it's up to us. I know we've said a lot, like, right, you know, that the gospel, who who removes the veil? You know, our foe is a formidable foe, right? And so we understand, like, to go up against culture and Satan and all of that, like, the veil is there. But then sometimes the Lord is gracious and lifts the veil and allows us to be a part of that. And
Has anyone ever tried to get a splinter out of their child's finger? We know. Some children are like, take the splinter out. And some are like, no. And you're like, I'm just going to pull it out. Is it going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to be better, you know? And so, like, you're fighting to, like, remove this splinter because you know it's best to get it out. Um, but they just don't want to hear about it. It's interesting with that, even with what I know, was saying in your analogy there, how then we become, you know, they become hostile towards <laughs> us, you know. They know the pain's there in the splinter, but you're the enemy now for trying to take it out. Yeah. But one of the, I think one of the biggest reliefs for me anyway is, and I've said this before in sharing the gospel when they get hostile, is, you know, look, I didn't, I didn't say it. I'm just repeating what God said, you know. And obviously, you're angry at Him, but I'm just a messenger here, you know. And you know what I mean? The, well, yeah. The blindness runs so deep in that analogy that have you ever tried to pull a splinter, splinter out of somebody's hand? You didn't know they had a splinter. Yeah. Try that. We're talking about a blindness that, unless we have mercy, unless we are compelled to recognize that this, I once was this. Yeah. By the grace of God. Yeah. Without mercy, we can't have anything. You're right. Our analogies are <laughs> are, are even deficient in, in how, how we can even describe this. I appreciate it. You're adding to my. That we do not lose heart? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and if we get to it, we'll see that's that, that's how we end. So, um, so then verse five, kind of Paul points out, you know, our role, right? And what what is our role? In verse five. Yeah, All right. We just again we the truth openly, but what is it, right? We don't preach our you know proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, right? And, you know, that's kind of like, again, like, you know, I'm, he doesn't even feel necessarily like I'm on par with you, even though later he'll have to say, like, listen to me because I am, I have a ministry that is ab- above you, you know, because it's directly from Jesus Christ. Um, but he's like, I'm your servant. I'm like serving you by pointing you to Jesus as Lord. And I think that's an important aspect, right? Because, you know, What's, you know, most people's understanding about their Lord is themselves, right? And so, you know, that's, that's another way. That's a nice veil to have is like, it's just me and you and me, right? <laughs> Looking in the mirror. It's just, we're in this together. Um, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do I want to eat, right? You know, but if, if you think of like, again, how we think about ourselves and how everyone's thinking about ourselves, it's, it's, uh, I, I feel it's, it's interesting when, um, you know, talking to people who get married later in life, uh, some of like the struggles that they talk about is like, I would, I lived by myself for so long, it seemed harder to, you know, not like it was hard, but it just was like, I was so accustomed to living life by myself that that was more of a challenge, right? If you get married younger, you're like, I don't know, I was brothers and sisters and I had a college roommate and then we got married and, you know, you might squeeze toothpaste differently, but you know, it, it's just, it's just interesting, but you live your life, right? I'm sure Tim, for you at 38 years old of like, you know, living your life yourself, right? you you become more hardened into that until the Lord lifts the veil. You were your Lord for longer. He was a good guy though. You know, he was good. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so how do we break through the veil? You know, he says it's verse six, right? It's, it's, it's not us. It's, it's Jesus in us, right? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. I, I think it almost like we kind of pass over that verse, right? Before there was light, there was only darkness, right? If it was, if you just thought, what was the world like? It'd be like, <laughs> not even a veil, just like complete darkness. And then light, and it's not again, just like, oh, there was a light in the sky. Like if you're standing in a room in complete darkness and then the lights come on, everything, you know, is illuminated. If you just thought like we couldn't see anything in this room and then you just start looking around, you're like, oh, there's like a board over there with words and there's a plant in the back and there's like two random monitors and oh, there's like little chairs stacked over there. I don't know. You just like all of a sudden, like the world becomes a much bigger place, right? And that's where Paul's going to Paul's gonna go um, in, in just a second. The world is bigger than even what we can see, right? There's darkness and light, and then there's even a what we can see and then what we can't see in the world around us. And so that's where, you know, you know, Paul says, right, how do we break through the darkness? It's not us. It's just the light of Christ within us and hopefully as we're sharing the gospel like that can come out that sincerity that like openness as you say it's not my message this is Christ's message but I sincerely believe it and I would hope that you would believe it as well and Paul says that's kind of kind of our role verse 7 moving on he says but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power Belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed. And so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. So explain to me what this phrase is, this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, so yeah, we got the, the, the jars of clay or earthen vessel, just made out of dirt. <laughs> and we think about that, right? We think about Genesis, right? Just made out of dirt, you know, out of the dust of the ground. And that's kind of like, you know, this, this, this idea, it's just common, not expensive, but that's just kind of who we are. But inside of us is this light of Christ, right? This treasure. It's an interesting word that the word for treasure is thesaurus. 
And you're like, the thesaurus. Oh, yeah, that's like a treasure, you know. But it could either be a, uh, the treasure itself or the, the storage of treasure. And so that kind of like fits, you know, hand in hand. I guess somebody really liked words and they're like, this is a treasure right here. Uh, to know synonyms and sometimes antonyms um, for that. Uh, but that's, that's, that, that's that word. And so this great value, this gospel, right, is within us. And so even in something that is you know, fragile at times. We know that, right? We know our lives are temporal and also common, right? We're like, we're all, well, we just, we say we're all flesh and blood, right? We all have the same limitations. None of us are superheroes. There's only, right, so much that we can do in the lives that we have. And so why does that, having this light of the gospel and these jars of, you know, these treasure and jars of clay, why does that show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to ourselves. That, that surpassing power, that idea of surpassing, is actually the word hyperbole. So this is like an English lesson, you know, a lot of these words. Hyperbole, something like that is without measure, um, is really the, the meaning. You can't measure it. It's exaggerated, something beyond our understanding. So it's translated as this surpassing power. So why does the gospel being within us show the surpassing power of God? Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you said, like, even the aspect that, like, that en- ends up having, like, this eternal aspect to it, right? Because the gospel, even though we think about that as, as a moment of time of sharing the gospel, it has eternal ramifications. But that is the message, right, that is within us, something that we can't even understand or even think about. It's the idea of the common vessel, the chamber pot of red some things that would indicate that these, the use of these vessels were for really dirty things like human waste and things like that. So taking the common vessel and making it useful. Yeah. Whereas if pride sets in, we tend to adorn ourselves as something greater than just the common vessel. It's not the treasure within us, it's the vessel. Yeah. So we have to remain lowly and humble. Uh, we see ourselves and recognize that we're nothing without we're not even worthy to carry human waste and not be discarded. Yeah. When we think of the things that, that have, you know, weightiness or power, you know, or, or fame in this world, right? Um, we realize that they're airbrushed. <laughs> you know, they've got, they got people that do makeup and hair and put on nice clothes. They've even maybe been trained in persuasive speech and all of that. But their power is limited, right? Their time is limited, um, you know, you could even think of like this past week, the Speaker of the House, right? A very powerful position realized he's on tenuous ground, right? That anyone like, you know, one of the most powerful positions in the U.S. government, right, um, is, is a fragile thing. And so for us to have the gospel is almost like the treasure is almost something that we need to embrace and understand. It's this thing that the Lord has given us, um, and God has put it there within us. And then he, he shares after that kind of, you know, with this idea, right, the struggles that we have, almost kind of like going like how, how we are these jars of clay, how we are 
you know, again, something not adorned, something that are very susceptible to cracking and breaking and being discarded is, you know, the limits that we have on our body. He says that we are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed. Like we just don't understand, you know, (laughs) how things work in this world. We are persecuted. We may even be struck down. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, right? The, those are the things. But there is a limit to how far that goes because even though we may be afflicted, afflicted in every way, we're not crushed. We're not destroyed, right? We may be perplexed. We may not understand but we may not we won't be driven to despair. We understand how God operates and we understand that it may not be a part of our plan, but it's a part of God's bigger plan. We may be persecuted, but we're not forsaken, right? Jesus on the cross was persecuted, but was not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we won't be destroyed. Our bodies may be destroyed, but there is something eternal right? Our soul will not, will be forever. And while we may carry in the body, the death of Jesus, right? The life of Jesus will be manifested in our bodies. The life of how he lived on this earth, but even beyond that, this resurrected life, right? We carry with that, that understanding. And so Paul gives this kind of contrast, right? To think about that. Think about those that are going through you know, a struggle, how much greater their testimony is in a time of trial than in a time of triumph, right? We may praise God like when an athlete wins a race and says, I give glory to Jesus, but how much more impactful to you is it when someone is going through a loss, right, or is in the hospital and they're pointing people to Christ, like it's it's like this humbling aspect, right, that we can understand that God can work greater power through jars of clay. Through jars of clay. And so then in verses 12 through 14, you know, Paul then inter- turns our attention, right, to remind them that their suffering was for the sake of the spiritual life amongst them, right? And then there's this fruit of eternity in heaven, right? So we suffer now so that then we can spend eternity with them, right? For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What, what, does, that, what does that tell us about the exponential go- growth of the gospel? Exponential. It is exponential, right? It grows fast. It grows fast. There's, a, there's a possibility that there's only so much that we can do. We only have so much of a sphere of influence, but... Those that we influence have a realm of influence and it grows, you know, greater than we could even imagine. And so it grows with thanksgiving that the Lord would do that. And it grows in thanksgiving in in the glory to God that that glory, again, can be manifest. But again, it's up to God how he removes the veil and allows people to to uh, come to salvation. So then how does Paul not lose heart? Again, he repeats that phrase from verse one, right? Is it, is it just a stiff upper lip? Soldier on. Keep preaching the gospel. Yeah. Understanding that we are suffering 
the difficulties in this world, but we are renewed, right, through the power of Christ. And it's renewed, not just like a Groundhog's Day, we're replenished and here we go again, but it's a renewed and strengthening that with each difficulty, we then can carry that strength to help somebody else going through their difficulty. And that's how the Lord uses us. And so how do we, how do we get this perspective? I mean, it's easy to say, Paul, it's easy to say these things. Well, that's how he kind of finishes out this chapter, right? Um, so he gives us this perspective on our current troubles. Verse 17, he says, for this light, um, that word light means something insignificant. It's a burden that you just don't even carry. It's like you have a backpack on and you reach in your backpack. You're like, oh, I didn't even know this was in here. You know, it's just something you didn't even know was put in, put on you. So this light and momentary, momentary, this, the word for that is the moment right after another. I mean, if we kind of maybe quantify it, it's like millisecond, you know, like just something we couldn't even experience, but it's the moment immediately after another moment. So, so our burdens are light. We don't even know it. It's just momentary. And then that affliction, the pressure or distress that we feel, but those adjectives to describe the distress we're under, right? That's preparing for us. So even though it's a season and it may be a momentary, an hour, a day, a week, months, years, it's light and it's momentary, not that it's insignificant, not that it doesn't have power, but what does that mean? It means in the way, in the, in the perspective of things, it's preparing for us in eternal, right? Forever, no end. We can't even conceptualize what that means. Wait. And that idea of wait is the highest mark on a scale. So if you had like, you know, Zero to a thousand to be a thousand. Whatever it is on whatever measurement that you have, it's the highest measurement that you could ever think of. It's pegged out at the maximum. Whatever you're going through has an eternal weight, eternal value of glory. Remember, we've talked about that word glory. It's that doxa, doxology. It's splendor or radiance, right? Beyond all comparison. And so he said, I just want you to have perspective. It doesn't minimize it. It doesn't like make it go away. But I just want you to have perspective on things that you have. Is like it's hard now. You're dealing with this now. And he goes into chapter 11. He talks about the beatings and stonings and imprisonments, you know, and all the things that he suffered, right? And so when we say, like, man, we're suffering, like Paul, Paul suffered. And so he's like, all of those things I just look at as like light and momentary because I have like my mind in eternity, so how do we get that perspective? Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, right? It's a time, a season, a period that we can measure. But the things that are unseen are eternal, right? From darkness to light, right, gives us a perspective. But then even from light to eternity, from now to forever, is something like that hopefully, again, gives us uh, a perspective on things that will help us, right? The things that we can't see will remain forever. And that's, you know, what Paul wants to leave them with as they kind of think about the challenges that they face. And even for him, as he talks about the gospel and how important it is for them and their ministry to think like, it may be difficult now, but in the weight of, of perspective and glory, it's really small. The, any, anything that I encounter in our ministry life. All right, any uh, final thoughts?